0: Hi everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Oh man, I just finished today's interview and now my brain's just absolutely buzzing. Such a good hour. It just evaporated for me. Like it was over before it started because it was so interesting and packed. We're in a series called For the Love of Facing Your Fears. Say less. (laughs) Man, this is so in my world. This is so in my wheelhouse. Because here's something a lot of us fear. Confrontation. Oh, golly. Anybody who knows me and heard me just say that sentence is like, Jen is not good at this. Maybe not so much being confronted, although that's no picnic either, but having to confront someone. I mean, you guys, I have been known to put off a confrontational conversation Even if it means ongoing discomfort, I don't just mean ongoing discomfort. I mean years, years of prolonged frustration just to avoid that conversation. How does that make any sense? That is not a way to live. So I'm wondering if we can reframe confrontation as truth telling, right? And remember that we actually honor people with our honesty and that these are steps toward repair and recovery and improvement, ah, maybe I can finally wrap my arms around those conversations and see them as necessary and beneficial and ultimately kind. So you guys, our guest today is phenomenal. He has spent decades gathering research and formulating practices around this idea helping folks turn everyday experiences into what he calls a powerful sense of lasting well-being. I love this. Today we have Dr. Rick Hansen. He's a psychologist. He is a senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. On top of that, he's a New York Times bestselling author of seven books. They've been published in 31 languages. He has given lectures at NASA, Google, Oxford, meditation centers worldwide, Harvard, you name it. And because that doesn't keep him busy enough, Dr. Hansen is also the founder of the Global Compassion Coalition and the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplative Wisdom. And he's a podcast host of the Being Well podcast, which go give that a listen if you haven't already. I mean, need I say another thing about his credentials? Dr. Hansen's latest book, Making Great Relationships, came out in 2023. And that's what we're looking at closely today. We're going to unpack our fear of hard conversations. Listen, nobody likes tense words with their partner or their friend or their spouse or a business associate or anyone for that matter. And God, I know that pit that we get in our stomachs when we we know. We need to bring up something that might be difficult to discuss. But the truth is, without that honest and open communication, which he talks so interestingly about with a lot of practicalities today, without all that, our relationships will suffer the end. And we all deserve better than that. So Dr. Hansen's going to walk us through today how we can not only face that fear of confrontation, but develop what he calls the skills. I really like this idea of confrontation being a skill that we can acquire and cultivate, not just something we have or don't have, right? And then all of our relationships will improve because of it. I loved this conversation. In fact, we stayed on for another 10 or 15 minutes at the close of this interview and kept talking. So I know you're going to love this one, you guys. Without any further ado, please enjoy this incredible discussion with the wonderful Dr. Rick Hansen. I started to call you Dr. Hansen. You said that I should call you Rick. And so that is simply me being obedient to your request, that I will call you Rick, even though you are very deserved of your title. So, Dr. Rick Hansen, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's completely my pleasure. I'm glad to be here with you. I am excited to have this conversation with you. You are an expert in a couple of areas in which I repeatedly stumble as an adult. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing from you today. So I've told my listeners a little bit about you. I've kind of high-leveled your your background and what it is that you do in the world primarily, but if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us just a little bit about you and kind of your on-ramp to this field and what it was about it that interested you in the first place to spend this much time and energy and really your adult life work?
1: Ah, well, I would say Maybe you would think about this for yourself as well, or other people listening. When I was a little kid, like I think most little kids, I, I could pick up on what was happening around me, even as a three-year-old, certainly by a 13-year-old. And I could just tell that there was a lot of unnecessary suffering. I grew up in a nice home, decent parents and so forth, but still lots of squabbling, worries, anxieties, stresses, hassles, yuck. And I didn't really understand it, but in me was this longing for what we could have with each other, which is a more peaceful, cooperative, loving, better way to be. But I didn't know how to do it. So that kind of set me on my way. I landed in college in 1969, You know, right at the height of the human potential movement. I was very young when I got to college and I just jumped full speed into it. It seemed really cool, much more interesting than running rats through mazes. So I, I got into that sort of stuff. And then along the way, I realized I really ought to get a degree and a license so I did. Along with that, I'd been a deeply interested meditator because meditation was a deep window, kind of a laser into your innermost being and a way to get really centered and strong. Then along came brain science, really the in a big wave or starting around 20 years ago. So I started to put those three together, brain science, clinical psychology, and contemplative wisdom. So if you think of those as a fantastic combination, that's where I work. That's where my books have really come from. And related to all that, I've just been a really practical guy. I consume a ton of research. I produce very little, but I'm really interested in what's the heart of the matter that really helps people that they can put into practice today.
0: I mean, you couldn't say it better or in a more succinct way, what's the heart of the matter? How can we put these principles and ideas into practice out of the realm of theory and down on the ground where we all live in our real world. And so I think to that end, I was really super interested to come across your book, which I bought called, you know, Making Great Relationships. I think what I am drawn to is something you just sort of alluded to, which is this is a little bit of brass tacks, if you will. And that's useful. That's helpful because most of us aren't clinicians and we're not doctors and we're not even really like expert practitioners. We're just people. So when I think about relationships, I mean, I can tell you in my life for sure, this is the stuff that life boils down to for me, the good and the bad pretty much boils down to the quality of my relationships on any given day. I mean, there's career stuff, you know, there's, there's externals, but that's the bread and butter of to me, what makes a life fulfilling and strong and connected or the opposite. And so I would like to, if you and I can start up here, like at the 30,000 foot view and think about just relationships because we choose these people, some of them, and some of them we are assigned these people, yeah. but one way or another, <laughs> here they are. Yeah. And so in your experience, which is considerable, why do you think so often our relationships, supposedly the most important things in our lives really, feels so stressful, so frustrating, sometimes so lonely, like right in the middle of them, what are some of the contributing factors that you see to our relationships being unfulfilling or even painful? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Wow. Deep. I want to answer that like you set it up with a solution orientation. Okay. And there are two big things that really, really help. First is to really start by caring for yourself, which for most people is a really big first step. And I could say that as a therapist, like most therapists, I mainly see women. And I'm a staunch feminist. My first book was about taking good care of mothers over the long haul. And so I think that people get socialized in different ways, and women and girls in general tend to get socialized to take care of others before taking care of themselves. So, step one, whether you're a man or a woman or beyond those categories, take care of yourself. And that means for me three things. One, Helping yourself to believe that you actually really matter. Not more than other people, but not less than other people. You do matter. And helping yourself believe that in the face of a lot of beliefs that go against it. Second, tune into how you really feel in terms of and you, what you really want, including deep down, and have compassion for yourself. Research shows, actually, that big, tough dudes tend to be more self-compassionate than women tend to be which is really interesting because women tend to be much more self-critical than men tend to be and not self-compassionate. So bring compassion to yourself, much like you would to a friend when you understood how your friend felt and wanted. That's the second way to care for yourself. And the third way is to have some moxie, get determined, be muscular, be on your own side, be serious, mean what you say. Those three elements, know that you matter, have compassion for yourself, and be strong on your own behalf. Those are ways to be caring for yourself and you can develop those. The second thing that I see is to know what to do. Okay, now that you're caring for yourself, whoa, you know, you got the key in the ignition, the car's on, but now where do you take it, right? You know, how do you be, that goes to being skillful. Seriously, learning how to be skillful. We learn how to be skillful routinely. Kids learn how to ride a bike. People older on, you know, learn how to run a podcast. We can also be skillful in our relationships and that's what my book's basically about you know 50 little specific skills things you can get better at because when you get better at them then you can produce different kind of results in your life so those two a feeling of caring for yourself and being more on your own side and second increasingly knowing what to say when they're a jerk knowing what to do when they just blow you out of the water you know, knowing how you can respond when it seems like they made an agreement with you at home or at work, and then they just kind of, you know, blow it off. What do you do then? That's where it's really useful to have some rubber meets the road kind of skills. And I'm sure we'll explore those.
0: Totally. So to that end, I'd really like to hear you talk about the research that you came across, which emphasizes How it is that we are actually creating our relationships every day with the things we do or say it's not mystical, it's not magical, it's not even outside of our purview. We have agency here. And so I wonder, I'd like to hear you talk about that. And if you could speak into the truth that we hold a certain degree of power to make our relationships better or different, or however you want to parse that out. And then if you don't mind, I'd love to hear if you had an example of this manifesting in your own life.
1: Oh, I'd love to do that. Maybe you have one too. I don't know. So let's see. Research shows that relationships are made from interactions. The gradual weight of interactions, for better or worse over time, shapes the relationship. And interactions are built from little turn-taking back and forth, kind of like ping pong or tennis, back and forth, right? And what comes over the net is out of our control in the moment. Now it's coming over the net, what they said, how they said it, the situation, other people watching, where are you? What are the stakes on the table? But then what we do at that point and how we respond to the messy package of garbage, you know, that comes over the net. And then what do we choose to respond to that's under our control and I actually thought a lot about the title of the book, Making, because it kind of sounds mechanical and mechanistic and not very highfalutin, you know, or sentimental. That's the truth. We make it. And for me, it's just like you said, it's to claim that power. So there's tons of research about that. My background includes the first years of life, you know, zero to three, and you can just watch the ways in which interactions between parents and very young children shape that relationship. And we all lived through it as children. And if you've been a parent, you've experienced it as well, right? It's the back and forth that really makes a difference, which means that at each time it's our turn, you know, to hit that ball back over the net. We have a range of options. The way I look at it is that, you know, if someone's yelling at you, okay, your range of options is sort of low. If someone is being nice to you and they're a decent person and maybe they're kind of annoying, but they're trying to understand, your your range of options is higher. But whatever it is, got a range. Now, are you going for the high end or the low end of the range? And that difference, in, you know, turn after turn after turn, interaction after interaction after interaction, shapes the course of your relationship. A lot of that is inside your head alone, because often it's not safe to say what's true. you got to be careful. Their consequences, or you can only afford to talk about one part of what's true, or one part of what you care about, or you you know you need to bide your time, you need to build up allies or resources around you before you can have that confrontation, you know that that is really necessary eventually. That real heart to heart conversation that's necessary. Sometimes you have to do that. So you do that inside yourself, but eventually, yeah, we have to bring it out into the real person, and that's where I think it's so important these foundations. To care for yourself. Deep down, what are your aims in your relationships? And can you build up your sense that you deserve people to treat you well? And if you have choices and they don't treat you well, it's your right to shrink the size of the relationship. And in the later chapters of the book, I get into the more hardcore kind of stuff sometimes you really need to do with certain kinds of people.
0: I wish that we had time to dive into all 50 ways that we can you know, improve our relationships, but I would like to touch on a few. So based on your research, based on your experience, what do you think, only parsing out a couple of these, effective communication looks like?
1: Yeah, beautiful. There's so many ways to answer that. And I'm I'm tempted, but, you know, it's an
0: enormous question. (laughs) Oh, it's great
1: though. The thing that I see that really is close to people a lot is to be able, when it matters, to speak from the heart. Now, in many settings, like at work, business, you're just sharing information a lot and you're being appropriate, you're being skillful there. It's not that challenging, right? But it's when other people are being difficult or, you know, in different kinds of ways, or something is important for you to get across, that's when the stakes get higher. And that's when it's really important to be skillful. So let's say you're in that kind of situation. Know what you want. Be clear what your aims are. Now, in the heat of the moment, someone might be coming at you and it's flustering, right? Blah. So maybe what you need to do is buy some time to figure out how you're going to deal with that person the next time you you see them or something. But as soon as you can, try to identify what is it that matters most to you? What is it that you want? And that's why I get a Go back to caring for yourself. Your wants matter. What do you want? You know, what what are your aims? It could be something really global. Like I wish they were nice to me, you know, or I wish he would call me. It could be anything like that, but know what you want. And then as much as you can try to boil it down to something you can ask for. That's clear and specific. If that's what you really want. Right. So know what you want. And then second, ask for it, find a way to say what you want. And this is where what's called nonviolent communication, you probably know about it from Marshall Rosenberg is really helpful. The summary formula essentially is when X happens, I feel Y because I need Z. And then optionally, so from now on I request such and such. So we're moving into the request. And when people speak from the heart, that's what I'm talking about there. There's a, there's a sense of dignity. You, and you, it's good to know who people are models. Like for me, Michelle Obama is an amazing model of, you know, that dignity, strength with dignity, right? And graciousness and not coming in guns blazing, but a force to be reckoned with. So imagine who are models for you, other people, you know, kind of calm, centered, strong, maybe your heart's pounding a little bit, but you're kind of, you're grounded, you're embodied, you're present with yourself. These are the foundational skills that really help. And then, when you say it, it really helps to stay close to your experience, and try not to argue too much about the past. Most arguments are about the past. Sometimes you need to talk about what happened, but often people disagree about the past. They'll never see it your way. The best you can get them to to do is to agree for something different from now on. From now on is really hopeful. There's possibility there. Yeah. So you basically you're staying and you're staying close to your experience. I feel this is how it is for me. As soon as you start talking about X, Y, and Z happened, or we ought to solve the problem in this way, they can argue with you, but you're the world's expert on your own experience. I felt sad. I felt irritated. I felt startled. I felt, frankly, a little disappointed. I felt a little disrespected. I felt like, huh, there's something unfair here. And that's how I felt. That's, that's how I felt when that happened. So you're, you're staying close to your experience. And then you're relating that to a request. It might be simply, you know, I'm okay with you. You could do whatever you, you will in the future. I just wanted you to know how I felt. I just wanted to, you to know how it kind of affected me, what you said there or did there or didn't stand up for me, maybe in some way, you know, just how it affected me. There's, boy, there's so, such moral force with that, you know? And that's, you're in your strong place then, because how do they argue with you? That's how it was for me, okay? Then, if it's meaningful for you, I think it's really helpful to, to the extent you can find it, have compassion for them too. You know, I know for myself, when somebody has mistreated me, really wronged me, I never get free until I identify whatever I was responsible for, which sometimes is zero. So you know what you are responsible for, which could be zero. Second, have compassion for them. I don't. I don't get free until I do that. doesn't mean I agree with them or like them or want to see them again, but I have compassion for them. They're human. They're real. They're suffering too. All kinds of things, a million things, led them to be, you know, the schmuck that they were (laughs) at that day, at that time in that way. So be it. Right. And then last try to put what you want in clear terms. I've seen a lot of people who I've watched a lot of couples argue, I'm an expert in arguments. You know, they go nowhere. I've seen a lot of them. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens is that people don't say what they really want because it's tense. It's scary Mm. sometimes. It's really vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't put their want into terms that the other person can give them. Right? So they don't end up setting the other person up to give them what they want, and then they don't even know if they got it because they didn't really say what they really really wanted clearly which could be simply like i'd like you to touch me more without it being a prelude to sex or i really like you to honestly do 50% of the housework here that's fair as fair you know i'd really like you to come home on time for dinner with the kids routinely and especially if you promise that you will i'd like you to keep your promise or at least call me and not have it become a regular thing, you know, to put it in terms. Or, you know, I'd really like to make love once or twice a week, for real. Could we, you know, with the real stuff. Put it in terms that they're concrete. Okay, I said a lot there.
0: Oh, it's so good. I'm like, and keep going.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Those are so useful because they just take ambiguity out of it. Where we expect someone to read our minds. I've always wished people could read my mind. Why can't they all be clairvoyant and know what I mean? But this this makes it easier to respond to. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Nasal Allergy Symptom Relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount. So you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I want to ask you this question because... This particular series is called, you know, Facing Your Fears. And
1: I love that topic, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, me too. And it's created some incredible conversations, but a huge fear that people have. And when I say people, I really just have to genuinely put myself at the front of the line, which is fear of conflict. And sometimes it is in the way in which someone behaved a certain way towards us in an aggressive way or they created a conflict and now we have to respond. There's another category of conflict, which is we're carrying something around in our heart. We have this board in our brain that we're pinning all these little offenses to. That person might not even know. They might not even know that we are walking around offended. And the fear sometimes of bringing this up can be really debilitating. And I think there's probably a lot of reasons we aren't great at conflict. I know for me, one amongst many, I didn't grow up in a home that had a lot of conflict in it, which is not to say I had this great idyllic childhood, which is probably more to say we weren't good at conflict. And so I didn't really see this modeled. I didn't really quite know what to do with it. I I emerged as an adult with a very low tolerance for conflict because I just didn't have any. So I am 49 years old and I still struggle. I will walk around with a conflict in my brain and heart and bury it until it comes out sideways because it does, it will find a way out. And if I'm unwilling to just be a mature grown-up and discuss it, it comes out passive-aggressively. It comes out my body language and a thousand ways. Anyway, I just want to hear you talk a little bit about the fear of conflict and possibly some early ways out of that paralysis.
1: Well, first off, we're talking about dealing with fear. And that's a huge exploration. It's definitely one, you know, I've gone a long way down that road. As someone who is um, temperamentally mildly anxious, and I grew up in a fault-finding home, loving decent parents, but they grew up in the depression. They had a lot of fear. They managed that in part by being quite critical and bossy and controlling. And so we were always doing something wrong. We're afraid we were about to do something wrong. And we never want to make them angry. So fears. And then there's this term from psychology called transference, initially applied to your therapist, but you can generalize it more broadly that you know we transfer into the present what we learned as a child or maybe in our first marriage or first job or first coach or other things that happen so we bring that into the present so first step is to be mindful of that material you know the inner turbochargers what what are they and they could be specific things in your family it could be your temperament it could be A traumatic experience in which you spoke up a little bit and something horrible happened, or it could be kind of broad things like socialization, gender socialization, you know, that can show up in different ways for different kinds of people. So be aware of that. That's really helpful because that material is going to distort things and it's going to turbocharge things and Mm -hmm. it's going to trap you in a kind of inner cage, a cage with invisible bars.
0: So even just awareness. Where Knowing it hit, like yeah. this may be coming from some completely different source.
1: Yeah, exactly right. You know, I started working on myself when I landed in college at 16. And it took me until I was about 23 or 4, I remember very specifically making myself say no to my, my father. And I had to prep for it. And it was about some silly, dumb thing. And I was like, waiting for, you know, like, you know, Zeus sure. to blast me with lightning sure. bolts. No, my dad was, oh, okay, Rick, <laughs> he was chill about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so I you had
0: invented all- <gasps> some drama that didn't even yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I remember my first fiance. Not the one I married, who was very prepared to get into conflict and a very powerful person who was angry a lot and I actually ended up doing a workshop in which I, this is the 70s here, in which I kind of learned to be angry. It was like psychodrama. We would pretend to yell at people. So I actually learned how to go to, in the zero to 10 anger scale, I learned how to actually go all the way up because I was incredibly frozen around one or two, if that. And then we had this argument in which she couldn't believe I was prepared to match her. She would raise me, I'd match her. She'd raise me, I'd match her. And then there was a breakthrough and it all, it really served our relationship. But I had to practice at it. You know so yeah i was very inhibited around expressing anger for a really long time so being aware of these things and then working on them you know that can really help that helps enormously i'll tell you another thing that can really help i think is like in any area come in prepared as best you can sometimes people blindside you oh there you are and then over time you prepare for that by just getting more trained in it and used to it and okay with it. So you're not so immobilized and and frozen. Okay. But if you know you're going to need to talk with somebody about something, maybe you realize, like you said, you've got all these grievances, you know, inside you. I can't believe they did that, right? You're carrying that around. Got it. Or there's something like really mistreating you actively or people you care about. Then prepare for that. Very often I see people, maybe they have a health problem, they don't have a good doctor. Well, they need to take some action or you know, get some exercise or do some things. They need to get some support from others, resource up. So if you're gonna have that conflict, get prepared. Talk about it maybe with some people, get some advice. I will still. You know, write out key words or sentences or phrases or just kind of work out a rough draft for myself, how I feel, not to send it to the person, not to read from a script, but to clarify things. So I'm prepared. Remind yourself that you matter. Get clear about what your legitimate needs are. Clarify. Is this some little thing, really, that's best to let go?
0: Because some are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or is it something you're ready to risk the relationship around? Because when you bring stuff up, I don't know if I'm going to say most people, but I doubt it's much less than the majority of people are not very good at receiving negative input or repairing. We're talking about repairing. You know, you're prepared to repair. Repairing is necessary for any significant relationship, but maybe they're not very prepared to repair. So you're, you have to be prepared. Like, do I really want to risk things here? Let's say you do. So then you're you're ready to get into it then I think it's really helpful to know what is it you want to say. Don't sputter. You know, my wife hates it when I use that term, but basically it's the worst of both worlds.
0: You
1: know what I mean? Because you're not doing what you need to do to really drive it to a real conclusion, right? And nor are you kind of laying low and not creating trouble. You're creating trouble that doesn't go anywhere. So if you're going to bring it up, be grounded. You matter. Bring dignity, Channel Michelle, or whatever your favorite person is, you know, Gandalf, I don't care. <laughs> you know we want Kenobi. Bring it home. And then you're in the interaction. So maybe I'll just say it like that when you know you're pre- when you're more aware of your turbochargers and when you're prepared, then maybe your heart is still beating a little bit. It's pounding a little bit, but and you're scared, but you're still ready to step into it.
0: That's good. That's good. And I, I find those conversations generally are so much more productive if I also choose my timing. I'm not hot. I'm not on the heels of something that just happened five seconds ago. You know, it's a little bit more, we're in a a calmer state of mind and we're regulated, or at least I am. And I, I pick that strategically if I can. If I can, I generally try not to respond too much right in the moment because it's not generally a response I can stand by. Feels good for a minute, of course.
1: Can I tell you two tricks from brain science? Yeah. And then I'll give you the Buddhist checklist. Let's hear it all. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Two tricks from brain science. One trick from brain science is to, I'll call it go wide. In other words, when you take the big picture view, including literally lifting your gaze to the horizon line in the room you're in, or get a sense of your body as a whole, the room as a whole, or just kind of the whole relationship or the whole company, the whole family system, the whole neighborhood, whatever it might be. Any sense of the whole technically reduces activity in the midline of your cortex, which is where we go when we're stressing and caught up in the future or the past or ruminating negatively, full of a sense of me, myself and I, On the other hand, when you go out to the sense of things as a whole, that reduces midline activity, increases activity on the sides of your brain, which are calmer, less full of verbal chatter, much more in the present, and have much more of a sense of spaciousness that will help you to get a sense of things as a whole. Second neurological trick goes to our evolution in small primate bands. The sense of the heart is an antidote to fear both ways it's wild when other people care about you that's calming because it's a primal signal of safety inside the band inside the group the mother caring for the child when we're young and so on and so bring to mind people who care about you as you can when you're about to step into the confrontation and or also Find your caring for others. Maybe not the person you're talking to. Maybe bring to mind your cat, your friend, your partner, a dear teacher you had a long time ago, whatever it might be. Love is love flowing in or flowing out. We don't have total control over the love of all kinds that we receive, but we do have control over the compassion, the kindness, the friendliness, the respect, the love that we flow outward. So getting in touch with the heart is a neurologically, biologically grounded way to help yourself feel less scared before you go into confrontation.
0: And what does Buddha have to say?
1: Oh yeah, I love the Buddhist checklist. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of lists. Basically, wise speech. What constitutes right speech or wise speech? It's five necessary elements. You named one a moment ago. I'll get to it. And one desirable but optional. So here they are. Speech is wise. And I think of these as a very down-to-earth Pre-flight checklist, okay? Speeches-wise, that is well-intended. So you're in the conversation not to destroy the person, not to be all righteous and superior and dominate or whatever, you know, or work some other agenda. You know, you're there in good faith. You're well-intended. Now, that includes wanting to support yourself, okay? Second, it's true. Whatever you say is true. You don't have to say the whole truth, but what you do say is true. Third, it's actually beneficial. It promotes the good, if only for yourself, hopefully the other person as well, but it's constructive. It moves the ball forward. It's useful in some ways. It has that result, okay? It is timely. That's the one you said a second ago. Comes at the right time, you don't just lay it on them when they're trying to fall asleep or as they're walking out the door. And the fifth one, often the hardest, is without harsh tone. Uh, Ah, Now... What's harsh, like I have a buddy who grew up in New Jersey, you know, like he's got a tone that would just, oh, my dad grew up Lutheran in North Dakota. You're like, that's a really different tone up there. Totally, <laughs> You know, different tone. But you know, you're inside the lines, right? And you're heated, maybe you're kind of feisty or frustrated, your hands waving a little bit, your eyes are bulging a little bit, maybe, or you're crying a little bit, a bit you know, but it's inside the lines, essentially. Okay. And couples can make, people can make agreements also a lot about tone, which is, I find really helpful. Uh, One of the things my wife has helped me do, those of you are just listening, you won't see it, but if you're watching the video, you could see it. She said, Rick, you gotta stop this thing you do. Ready, one, two, three. It's the (laughs) eye roll, (laughs) it's the eye roll. And you know, research shows one of the worst things you can do in a relationship is to be disdainful or contemptuous disdain or contempt really frost people. Okay. So those are the five that are mandatory. The sixth standard for wise speech, optional but desirable, is it is speech that is wanted. You know, it's wanted, right? I think as a parent, kids now 36 and 33, you know, there are things that satisfied all those first criteria, but the really truth is my teenager did not want to hear it, or my 33 Six-year-old doesn't want to hear it. And you know, I don't need to say it unless I really, really need to say it. Just because they don't want to hear it doesn't mean at the end of the day you have to muzzle yourself, but you take that into account. So that's the Buddhist checklist.
0: That's interesting, the thought of it being wanted, because I know for me particularly, a huge portion of my fear around conflict, around initiating conflict even is my worry that it is going to harm the relationship. My worry that I will be considered difficult by my person on the other side, that now all of a sudden I'm I'm bringing drama to them, or that this has somehow put a mark on our relationship that we're now going to have to overcome. Sometimes that's true, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's it's a kindness these these conversations sometimes these moments of sort of conflict and resolution can create a stronger relationship than it was before and so I think I'd like to hear you as the pro talk about reframing that possibility that all conflict is bad and will make that other person feel bad about themselves feel bad about me feel bad about our relationship because that's not a ubiquitous truth when it comes to conflict. yeah
1: that's great wow so much to it and by the way there's a saying in medicine it's true for me as well good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment i've had a lot of experience about what yeah, did totally <laughs> okay completely so, and i'm still a yes. work in progress yes so One is to ask yourself, is that actually true? Is what I believe actually true? And it might be true. Maybe with that particular person, it's heavy duty to go into any kind of argument with them. But on the other hand, maybe you can realize that that person or usually most other people are actually okay if you approach conflict in the skillful ways that you and I are talking about here, which includes, you know, an underlying benevolence, you know, you where you come in, not trying to give them any cause to fear you. You you come in with hands open, no weapons, right? And you're you you're taking them into account. Maybe you start by trying to understand them empathically and kind of lay a foundation. Maybe you start by establishing rapport initially in some appropriate way, making a connection, some maybe some small talk for the first five or ten minutes to kind of get in tune with each other you do those things you know that's foundational and then if you do those things and you approach it reasonably skillfully probably it will go well and probably it will help the relationship so you could you could think that through you could recognize that you know then when you recognize it you have to let yourself feel it let the reassurance sink in this is not some kind of thing with spock right it's not pure rational it's you're using your ability to recognize reality to help yourself feel relief, feel reassured, feel more confident. The other thing that, that's really there for me, because I don't like conflict either. You know, I get kind of nervous about it. That's partly why I've learned to get good at it, because I don't like it, <laughs> which is paradoxical. For sure, but, you know, It helps me move through it fairly rapidly to a, usually a good outcome, because I don't like people being mad at me. Oh, I want to say one more thing as preparation here, we haven't really touched on. I wanna say it kind of carefully, which is be sure to have cleaned up your own side of the street. And the reason I'm being careful about it, I'm not blaming the victim here, and I'm, I'm not trying to put too much responsibility on one person in the system. I'm talking about the, what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness. So you know that you've done what's reasonable on your side of the street. You've enacted what I call unilateral virtue. Even if they're being a schmo, you're still staying inside the lines. You're still doing your job, which is really great to do. Even though it's counterintuitive, we want them to clean up their act first. But if we clean up our side of the street first, we have agency there. No one can stop us. We're doing, it. that feels good. We feel virtuous. Yeah, I'm taking care of my stuff. And it's your best odd strategy to get good treatment from the other person because you're reducing, you're taking gasoline away from the fire and pretty soon it puts you in the moral high ground. After a few weeks of that, if not a few days, certainly a few weeks, you're in a much stronger position to say, you know, those things you had a list for me and I've been doing them I'm getting my reports in on time or whatever, you know, I'm doing my share of the housework, whatever. Okay. How about you? You know, so that, is also really preparatory. And that can reduce your fear as well, going into the situation. Last, I would just say that as a neuropsychologist, I've really more and more come to appreciate the power of being able to dial in ways of being for ourselves that are really good for us at will. In other words, what's that place where you feel grounded You feel centered, your heart is open, you're in this integration of, you know, open-hearted calm strength. What's that feel like for you? And one thing you can do that's super effective as well, it's a little trick, but it's really work, it really works. Imagine the conversation with yourself in your green zone. I'll call it that. Your good place. You're open-hearted, you're not going to war with them, you're also rested in calm strength. You feel healthy entitlement, that your cause is just, what you want is important. You're tuned into your compassion for them. There's a certain softness while also a certain seriousness in what you're bringing in. You're rested in that way of being. And then imagine yourself having the interaction with that other person rested in that way of being. Imagine the weird stuff they might pull or the things they might say or because they've done it in the past, et cetera. And imagine how you'd respond to it from that power place, from that good place. And if you do that at least once, but if you do it a few times, it's like you're hypnotizing yourself, not exactly, but you're programming, literally, into your nervous system, it's in your body, it's called rehearsal, you know, where you anticipatory rehearsal, athletes do it, you know, Olympic athletes who are skiing, you know, they'll do it. And so then when, in the heat of the moment, you do what you trained to do, and then you're much more able to be this way which will help you be less afraid.
0: Oh, that's great. Oh, that's so useful. One more question for you. What would you suggest it would look like for folks who are walking into a conflict scenario and, you know, as we mentioned, this could go any which way. You know, sometimes if we've we've approached it, I really like how you just call it skilled because you can learn. You can learn to do this. This can be a skill if you come at it with with your skills intact. You know, you're obviously increasing the chances for a favorable response,
1: including your inner skills, like how to calm yourself down if you're starting to get rattled. Okay, keep not going. over yeah.
0: respond. Like that is that has, that has so much agency in in it. But let's just say that the conversation just goes wonky and it just goes completely sideways. What do you suggest? it looks like to have decent boundaries inside a conversation are there are there guardrails are there sort of standards that we can say this and this we can work through this and this is not okay this is beyond the pale or you know we can have a tolerance for emotion is there any place where that toggles forward too much and we are like out of productivity What do you think about
1: that yeah great well one of the keys a lot is to slow it down
0: Mm. interactions
1: often go sideways when they speed up, and so yeah and so just kind of noticing in your own body and mind when you start accelerating and maybe you notice that they're starting i know that feeling okay yeah ditto it just starts Uh, coming up yeah 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 and you start talking faster you lean (laughs) in it's like yeah Yeah.
0: yeah." yeah yeah
1: so deliberately maybe slow it down sit back Exhale technically as you exhale that calms your heart rate and brings in the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. Great. Exhale. They don't even need to know you're doing it, you're but you're quieter, you're slowing down. Okay, that's good. I find if you can, there's a real place for trying to listen to other people. Just let them have their say. Ask them kind of more deeply. Now, I also find it really helpful in interactions that haven't yet yet gotten horrible. So we're getting close. I'll I'll get to the, the point where you pull the plug, okay? But let's say it's kind of getting wobbly and more and more you start to realize, huh, this person is not in this conversation to repair. Like that's really important to kind of see. You're starting to see them clearly like, oh, I got it. You know, I think Maya Angelou says, right? When people show you who they are, believe them. The first time so you're starting to see it and i think there's a place for trying to give people some chances to really test this out sometimes that means going back to the basics like for example are are we both clear that x and y actually did happen if that's foundation are
0: we working on the same set of facts here
1: yeah yeah Yeah. are you or in other Uh words you are we clear that like you had these reports to turn in and you didn't deliver them and i was left high and dry in the meeting as a result whatever, you know, the facts. So sometimes you have to go back to the facts. Sometimes it's really useful to go back to that sort of nonviolent communication formula, including values, where we have shared values. And that kind of takes you out of the arguing about the past. I mean, naming the facts brings you into the past. Sometimes they won't agree on the facts, but at least they can agree on values going forward. That sounds fancy. I mean, it kind of basically like, I like you, you might say, if it's real, you know, or Internally, you're thinking, "I like parts of you, but okay, <laughs> you know." I'm <awesome>. like, <laughs> "I'm looking forward to working well together. Not a big deal here." And when you know, in having our department or our family, have certain aspects to it, you probably feel the same way. You, you appreciate that as well. So I'm kind of focused, really, on what we do going forward from here. So you're establishing, naming values. You're doing it in a generous way. You're staying away from inflammatory speech. You're staying away from harsh tone. People blow up around accusations. So you're stepping out of accusations. You're you're realizing, uh uh-huh, I'm dealing with someone with limited capacity, at least in the moment, to process the truth here. They're too flooded. They're too upset. They're the kind of person who will never agree with me in the moment, but they'll quietly change their ways. Fine. You know, you're seeing all that in real time. And as you get more experienced with this, you're more able to see it in real time. So you do all those things. Okay, great. And also let's suppose that you can realize, wow, I'm not going to get all of what I want here, but there's one thing in particular I want to say, and I want to have be on record and ideally have them make a formal agreement about not that they're writing in blood, but that they're, they're saying they'll do it now. Well, they're giving me their word about something. They may, blow it off later, but I'm, I'm trying to go after something. So it could be as simple as hypothetically, your your parents and your your children and your mom, she's wonderful, but she keeps bringing a bag of sweets and it's not good for your six-year-old, let's just say. And so you're, all you're trying to do is say, mom, love you, love you, your grandma, your awesome grandma. The One thing, please do not give Mary Lou a bag of sweets. Could you, could you do that, right? You're going after that one thing you want. Right. Or it could be a little more abstract, you know, in a relationship, your marriage, something, honey, it's just this one thing. When we're talking about something that's kind of clearly important, I would really love it if you would let me go at least 30 seconds before you jump in. Could you do that? (laughs) And that can be really kind of scary. Like, what? But that's what you really want. Right. And it's clear. You've made it clear. Crystal clear. So then sometimes you're going after that because you could realize, well, feeling deeply understood, you know, agreed with, it ain't happening, right? But at least they will agree going forward to not bring the bag of candy or to turn in their report on time. Okay, great. Hopefully you're going to get some, and to focus on that. Now, sometimes what people do is they start to get that success and then they throw in the whole kitchen sink. Oh,
0: sure. (laughs) Uh, while we're here <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> let me right. get my list out uh-huh. yeah that's right <laughs> yes. as,
1: as my son says to me he's just kind of a sports guy book the win you know mm. he also played poker professionally for quite a while Sure. stop when you're ahead often and appreciate them let's say you do all those things but then let's say all right you're dealing with someone wow they just won't stop yelling at you they're crossing the line and the lines depend on different people for me if i start to feel scared of around a person, that's a line. Forget it. So physical or or emotional abuse, you know, that's a line. Getting names called, being you know like really disrespected. These are all lines. I'm done. I'm out, and I'm going to take notice because if you could do it once, you could do it twice and more. All right. So know what your lines are. I think that's really kind of helpful for people. Sometimes what p- people in relationships do, in which lines have been crossed, maybe people drank too much. They were too they were loaded and they crossed lines and then whoo-wee. But then the next day or the next week when they have a chance to talk, they could say, you know, going forward, I crossed the line here. I think we crossed some lines there. Can we just not do that again? So you're, re- you're reestablishing kind of ground rules. And some families, they'll put their house rules on the refrigerator. Good for the kids too, you know. We don't yell at each other. We don't call names here. We try not to interrupt. We let people finish what they're trying to say. You know, that's what we do. We try to see the good. And here's another one. We listen for the deeper wants under the surface and we try to speak our deeper wants, even if it's scary and vulnerable. And we try to pull for the deeper wants under the surface of the other person because that those underlying wants are often really good they're understandable they're shared values we both want the same thing let's connect at that deeper level and not have these proxy wars over how to load the dishwasher right so you try to do all that and then if worse comes to worse you shrink the relationship you might be stuck with people in certain situations you can't avoid uncle bob at thanksgiving you know who was creepy when you were a kid or something but you can sure keep your distance and inside your mind, you can know what you really see. But often we are able to shrink the relationship where, in other words, maybe we realize I just can't talk to that friend after four o'clock because they've been drinking. Okay. Or I can't loan him any money or we are not going to talk about Donald Trump. You know what I mean? Because it just goes
0: really sideways when we do.
1: Either side, either side, but it just goes sideways.
0: And you just kind of go, all right, this is a no cross zone right here. I feel like I could talk to you for a hundred hours. This has been (laughs) packed, just an absolute packed hour. Like there was not one word that dropped to the ground that was not like useful and informative and powerful. And so thank you so much. I know 100% that my listening community is going to want more of you and from you. And so can you please tell my crew where to find you, how to find you, where, where are you, where to find your books, all of it?
1: Great. Well, I, I, by the way, would say exactly the same about you. Mm, um,
0: thank I've you. been
1: on a lot of these and you're just great. You thank know? you. you really are. What a
0: nice thing to say.
1: That's truth. You know, it's right speech. I'm a right speech kind of person. Right speech. You know, Appreciate that
0: uh, right speech. Yeah,
1: it's true. Well, thank you. My name, Rick Very straightforward. My website is the best place to go. I have tons of freely offered resources. I also recommend the book given this topic here, making great relationships. And also on my website, I've got courses of different kinds. We have scholarships for anyone in financial need. A lot of the purpose of the programs is to be able to give them away for free to people who need that. And one of them is on, I call it the strong heart, that combination of kindness and assertiveness. It's fairly straightforward to be nice and kind to people. It's fairly straightforward to be assertive to bring those two together which is what we've been talking about yeah that's the right so
0: brene brown says strong back soft heart so similar yeah Yeah, that's (laughs) exactly right little iron spine but tender heart it is a a a wonderful combo
1: yeah Yeah, that's right The zen saying too: the firm in the back soft in the front
0: that's right everybody listening i'm going to put all this in one spot for you so you can have a one Stop shop for all things Rick and find everything. Okay. Now this genuinely is the final question. And I ask everybody this question. I I borrowed this from somebody else who I thought it was such a brilliant thing to ask. And please feel free to answer this however you would like. You can come at this earnestly. You can come at this absurdly. Everything is acceptable in the soup pot. Anyway, it's a question from my friend, Barbara Brown Taylor. What is saving your life right now?
1: Can I... Answer it in two parts? Certainly. Okay. Well, it's such a deep question. I mean, I take words seriously. So i saving, saving my life, but in a deep way, okay? In a deep way. Two things lately. One is I'm just sort of, I would say, deepening in my awareness of everything being one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that sounds so Eckhart and cosmic, but that really is true. It's the result, you know, I've been meditating for a long time and and I've learned a lot from, you know, from my teachers. And uh, it's kind of saving my life to recognize that it's all one, really. Yes, we need to take care of these various problems, but ultimately it's all one rested in mystery. And that's reality. There's this line from T.S. Eliot, teach us to care and not to care. Yeah. Just to sit Mm -hmm. still. So that, that's, that perspective, especially with these crazy politics these days, that's really saving my life. Yeah, And then the other is, with this thing I'll, I'll mention, the Global Compassion Coalition, which I founded, I'm starting to get more connected with people who are really taking a crack at big problems like greenhouse gas emissions or challenges to democracy and civil society. And it's when we get together with a lot of other people and a lot of other organizations we form large effective coalitions then we're big enough to be strong enough to actually make good things happen and that's saving my life as well thinking about the examples throughout history in which people succeeded at that and looking for ways to be part of that in my own small way to be part of that these days that's giving me hope and saving my life as well
0: ah beautiful powerful I love both those answers so very much. Um, those are two North stars for me as well, both of those ideas. So I that was a fantastic answer. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for your vast wisdom and your generosity with just sharing what you know and what you have learned and what you have to offer. It's just an incredible gift. And I know in my community, a ton of us are hitting this new year going, relationships. This is where I'd like to focus this year. I'd really like to improve the quality of relationships. So bravo. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys, he has just a wealth of knowledge and we, we barely scratched the surface. If you go over to Jen Hatmaker, dot com under the podcast tab i will have all of this in one place for you i'm gonna have rick's website which as he mentioned has got a bunch of free stuff for you over there i will have his books and links to his podcast and his social so you can get that all in one place plus the show notes this is a good one to share i, I really i am walking away today with just some really deep ideas I was cataloging some conversations I've got in queue the whole time we were talking and really feel like he put some tools in my toolkit today. And I hope he did for you too. This whole series is meant to do this, to really serve you in places where we tend to collectively have fear and there is more to come. I hope you are enjoying this series as much as I am. I am learning a lot. And that is sometimes the best indicator that a series is fire. So, all right, you guys, thanks for listening on behalf of Laura and four eyes and her team. And Amanda and I, we sure love you. And we sure love this podcast and we sure love this community. And we look forward to being in your ears every single week. See you next time. The For the Love podcast with Jen Hatmaker is a presentation of Odyssey and produced by Four Eyes Media with Laura Neitzling, producer, Abby Stevens, production director, Gregory DiMario, production assistant, and Lauren Winfield, researcher. Odyssey's executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Leah Reese Dennis. Special thanks to the team at Odyssey, Maura Curran, Melissa Wester, Matt Casey, Kate Hutchinson, Eric Donnelly, Aaron Constantino, Kurt Courtney, and Hilary Schupf. Listen and follow For the Love, an Odyssey podcast produced by Four Eyes Media on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a production of Four Eyes Media.